such a hell of a job. I didn't like it for most of the game, but somehow the Vikings found a way yet again to pull off a victory. We'll talk about that and most of the other action from yesterday. Coming up over the next two hours, as much as we can cram into a two-hour show, the show is PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. You've learned plenty about Miles Simmons so far this year, the Monday co-host. I say good morning to Miles. Miles, I'm happy to report it's daylight here. Thanks to the clocks being set back by an hour, I'm no longer trudging up the stairs in the darkness, possibly tripping over something and injuring myself. I can now see clearly as I climb up the steps, and yes, there's a thing they invented years ago called a light that I could turn on, but sometimes I forget to do that. So it's very great to have daylight, even if it's only for a while, and it will slowly sink into darkness by the time December 21 rolls around, only to start going back the other way. Good morning. I, I don't know what to say to that, Mike. I don't. You got plenty I, of stuff you can choose from there congratulations i don't know it was it was raining this morning as i woke up here in uh santa monica so it's still dark you know it'll get lighter earlier i guess it's supposed to be a 619 sunrise so by the time i make my walk to starbucks the light should be fine you know 7 a.m or so yeah I, I I don't even I don't know I don't I don't know where to go with that Mike I don't know I mean like well, turn on the light I also bro. have like, that's all I can say it's on your phone I, like what what are you doing like, don't trip up the stairs well, anymore like, I, ha- have I have I have a nice new, phone, new phone so yeah I haven't figured out the flashlight function yet but I'll get there oh. the other thing that I did and the more you do this the more you'll find that we waste time at the beginning talking about stuff and like uh, I've been doing a show I, with you for like a year and a half. Like I know what you do. Been, it's just like okay. today I didn't, you know, well, this is just, you know, but Sims and I now burn like 10 minutes to start the show. We can't do that today. Cause we have too much to talk about, but I know, but I did something very stupid yesterday and it, oh. it ended yesterday. The stupidity happened before that. I left a bag of garbage downstairs by the door a little bit too long before carrying it out to the place where the garbage goes. Okay. And you know that that just that garbage smell, you know, the, just that that undefinable but unmistakable garbage smell. I noticed it yesterday when I came out to come up here for the Sunday duties. So I took I finally took the bag out. The problem is once that smell like gets in it it doesn't go away. So, yeah. Good news is I have daylight. Bad news is it smells like garbage. So, Ooh. other than that, we're off to a great start today. Ooh, that smell. That smell that surrounds you. It won't. I mean, it's there. I don't know how to get rid of it. Maybe I can burn some candles. Maybe I can just burn the place yeah, down. That would definitely get rid of the smell. 
but Sims could get you some stuff that will uh, get rid of the smell. That would lead to a different type of a smell. All right, uh, things are smelling pretty good in Kansas City this morning after smelling not so good. It was just one of those games where it just felt like the Chiefs couldn't get going. The Chiefs, even with the extra time to get ready, Andy Reid, 20-3 and for his career when he has a bye, yada, yada. And I didn't understand... And and this is one that restores my faith in my own gut feeling because the spread was 12 and a half points. And Sims and I yeah. talked about this last week. Peter King and I talked about this last week. Why in the hell were the Chiefs 12 and a half point favorites over the Tennessee Titans, even if Vegas knew that Ryan Tannehill wasn't going to play? How was how was the betting so lopsided on the Chiefs that it drove it up 12 and a half points if that's what did it? It didn't make any sense to me. Now, mm-hmm. I still thought the Chiefs were going to win, and somehow they did. But, you know, the Titans, when you, when you can run the ball effectively and when you, when you can keep the Chiefs' offense off the field and when they're on the field, they're not clicking because your defense is getting it done, you have a chance to beat them. That's your only chance to beat them, really, unless you get into a shootout and match them drive for drive and do just enough on defense like a tennis match and break serve a couple of times or once as the case may be that's the only way you're going to beat these chiefs yes it, it is but you know it, it's funny because i we were talking about this on the pft check text chain last night and it's like you you see what the titans can do with Malik Willis, who is a quarterback who's ostensibly not really ready to play, right? And yet they're still in it because Mike Vrabel coaches his ass off. And so, like, that's really the reason why, if you're looking at the spread and you're like, well, why the hell are the Chiefs favored by so much? It's like it's not taking into account how good of a football coach Mike Vrabel is, right? I mean, last week, I know it was the Houston Texans, but when you have a quarterback who's making his first career start for an injured starter and he only throws the ball 10 times and you still win and you're controlling the game as they did because they ran it for 314 yards, that that's one thing, right? It's hard to do that two weeks in a row and still beat an opponent that is of an entirely different caliber than the one you were playing the week before, right? But they were in position to win. It's just that at the end of the game, when the quarterback had to be a part of it, he couldn't do anything that was actually going to help them win. They, Malik Willis is not at the point right now where he can elevate a team into winning, and that's not to mention the fact that they don't have wide receivers right now that can really get open. And, oh, by the way, the receiver that they used to have that could get open and that's getting open a lot in Philadelphia was making fun of them on Twitter last night a lot. And uh, there AJ it is. AJ Brown spent a lot of time after he was traded to the Eagles saying this wasn't me I wanted to stay don't blame me and the tweets from last night would suggest that that he did want out and he's glad he got out regardless of what the thinking was in April he's glad he got out and 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 look this goes back to and for everything the Titans do well the question of You draft a guy, you develop a guy, it's time to pay him. The Mm -hmm. lottery ticket you scratched off has won. You pay him and keep him. You don't trade him in for another lottery ticket and then draft a receiver 
and put even more pressure on that guy to replace the guy you traded. That's the Troy Williamson dynamic. Do you remember who Troy Williamson was? No, sorry. You probably don't. You shouldn't. He's the guy the Vikings took with a top 10 draft pick the year they traded Randy Moss. And he was a oh. disaster. <laughs> a no, disaster. Yeah. And and look, he hey, in the right system, at the right team, at the right time, he had the talent to be good. But you put extra pressure on the guy. Traylon Burks, I feel bad for him. And it gets even worse now. And I'm looking at these stats, Miles, last night for the Titans receivers. Holy crap. I mean, they, 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 not they didn't catch a I pass. mean, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. They didn't no. pass. Yeah. Robert Woods I mean, got they, targeted twice, no catches. Chris Connolly targeted once, no catches. We should have caught that. And Robert, I remember Robert, Robert Woods is the one that, hey, oh, well, he can make a difference. Oh, he's, oh, the Rams shouldn't have let him get away. And maybe the Rams could do more with him than the Titans are doing. But, but again, yeah. you, you throw in the rookie quarterback, the run-centric, run-heavy, run-all-the-time offense. But still, at the end of the day, Derrick Henry only carried the ball 17 times last night, but still he was getting big chunks of yard, 115 total yards uh, on the ground for him. The, I'm, I'm just amazed it was as close as it was, especially when you look at the statistics. Something MDS pointed out today on the website profootballtalk.com, the 38 completion gap between the Chiefs and the Titans is the biggest in NFL history. The Chiefs, with Patrick Mahomes, completed 43 of 68 passes. He was just too short of tying Drew Bledsoe for the all-time single-game record from November of 1994 against the Vikings when the Patriots wiped out a 20-3 deficit at halftime and won in overtime. 70 passes for Bledsoe. Malik Willis had five completions on 16 attempts. He had almost one-third of the attempts as Patrick Mahomes had completions. Yeah, well, and that's basically the difference, right? I I mean, you have a quarterback that you trust and a quarterback that we know can lead a team down the field, that can lead a team to victory, whether it's by his arm or through his legs, as it happened to be last night, versus a quarterback who's making his second career start, who was a third-round pick, who was the quarterback at Liberty and was not asked to do as much as an NFL quarterback needs to do. So, yeah, that's kind of what happens. And when the Chiefs get down, they have to be able to throw the ball to get themselves back in it. That's exactly what happened last night. Let's hear from both head coach Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs. Last time we heard from Andy Reid, he was talking about how much he likes Mr. Goodbar. I assume he oh, likes Mr. winning. Mr. Goodbar. Almost as much. Here's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid talking about the win from last night. You've got to be able to win a game like that. There's a, where everything just isn't perfect. And, and your emotions are up and down. And uh, you've got to fight through that, persevere through that, and able to rally somebody's got to step up and rally we were so close on so many plays and and uh, rather than get frustrated step up and let's go we're gonna see this team a lot I mean they're well coached Rabel's a, a heck of a coach um, they have a lot of great players um, and they, they bring a f- uh, physicality to the game and uh, we're not gonna back down from anybody and so I'm glad of the way our guys responded um, and we went out there and battled to the very end and got the win Patrick Mahomes with his half-billion-dollar contract wearing a T-shirt to the press conference. I love that. I love it. Patrick Mahomes can do whatever the hell he wants to do. And Andy Reid hit the nail on the head. How many times, Miles, do we see a team where things aren't going well? It's not their day. And it would be so easy to just accept it, to just settle in, to slip into the hot bathtub of failure. And they kept 
pushing. They refuse to let short-term adversity throw them off, bring them down, end their day, and they just kept going. That is the mark of a championship-caliber team because that is a team that is going to fight through, possibly in a postseason game, one of these days, one of these moments, one of these drives, one of these whatever that could be the thing that gets you to break. They didn't break, and they had every reason where they could have just said, sorry, we'll still be 6-3, and three. we'll still be fine, we'll still, we'll still have plenty of games left. They, they didn't accept that, and they kept going until they got the win. Well, you know, Mike, I mean, this is the M.O. of the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs. I mean, think about that championship season that they had in 2019. Every time that they could have slipped into the hot bath of failure, which is something that I'm going to use, by the way. I mean, they kept pushing. They kept fighting back. And obviously, you know, when you're down 24 to zero in a playoff game, that's different than being down by a few points in a regular season game as they were last night, down by eight for a lot of that game. But it's the same sort of attitude, the same sort of mentality, right, that you have to be able to have to say, no, every time that the defense gets a stop, it's going to be an opportunity for us. And, yeah, we're not doing it yet, but we know that at some point we can break through as long as we persevere and we keep pushing because we've done it before. It might not have been exactly with this group, but our core guys that have been with us for a long time, we've done it, you know. Patrick Mahomes has done it. Travis Kelsey's done it. So it's not like it's totally unfamiliar territory for them. And I think once they get on a roll like that, that's how they can continue to win. It it just, it makes sense when you're talking about the Chiefs led by Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. When I think of Patrick Mahomes as a runner, the first thought that comes to mind is the 2019 AFC Championship game. Me too. When he worked his way down the left (laughs) sideline against the Tennessee Titans. And I'm thinking, will no one actually try to tackle Patrick Mahomes? It's the old Vince Lombardi, grab, grab, grab. You had a guy try to pull the ball out right before the goal line. It was just a debacle. It was a disaster. It was an embarrassment. So I thought the last team to ever find itself. Right. But but from a defensive standpoint, and part of the yes. mindset is the defensive players are so conditioned to think there's a force field around the quarterbacks and you can't hit them, you can't touch them, you can't do anything, you're going to get a penalty when they take off as runners. And that's one of the tension points this year. The NFL's position is, hey, we've told the officials, once the guy becomes a runner, he becomes a runner and he can be hit. Yeah, then Mac Jones draws a 15-yard foul last week for taking a hit that if a running back had taken it, there wouldn't have been a flag. But of all the teams, to not succumb to that same trap, you would think the Titans would be the last ones to do it because they were the ones that were burned by it. But once he starts going, and it finally flickered for me last night, I he's not fast, but he makes everybody else look slow. And I don't know what that is. I don't know where that quality comes from. But he's really not moving like Kyler Murray, but no one can catch him. I don't get it. And watch the tail end of this one. I hope the tape goes long enough because he pulls the Gus Farratt and slams it. And hits, uh, he hits his head into the wall like Gus Farratt did. And Gus Farratt injured his neck when he did it. That was back in the 90s, Miles. I don't know if you remember that, but I saw him dip his head. And I said, oh, please, Patrick, don't injure yourself like Gus Farratt once did. 
Well, you know what was what's funny about that run that he had to go in there for a touchdown? I mean, the only thing that basically to me that's different than that in the 2019 AFC Championship game is they're going into the opposite end zone. I mean, it's just so reminiscent of what that play was. And when Patrick Mahomes takes off and he starts running, it's like he's elusive because he understands how to contort his body in such a way that it makes defenders not know exactly which way he's going to go. So it's not like he's fast, like you said, but he has the ability to be elusive. You know, when I was playing football, this is why I was really bad at defense. They always told us that, you know, the shoulders are, are like your girlfriend. Your girlfriend's going to lie to you. But if you look at the numbers, then the numbers are like your mother. And your mother's never going to lie. But it's like he makes defenders look at his shoulders the entire time. And for whatever reason, that elusiveness that he has, it just works out. And he's able to get past dudes and get into the end zone. And you don't want him taking hits. But when you need those plays like that, he's able to get it done. It's the combination of book smarts and street smarts all in one. He's smart yeah, I, yes. because he knows exactly where he can go. Once he's thrust into it, right, he'd fail the speed test if you put him on the line and said, run 40 yards, go. And it just shows yes. you how meaningless the 40-yard dash is. What matters is once you're out there and all of the other bodies are out there in space with you, how do you navigate through them? You, do you mm-hmm. know or do you not know which way to go and how to make them – he just has that little shimmy that makes yeah. them freeze a little bit. It's, yep. it's the combination. It's, it's, it's beautiful to see. I can't think of another quarterback that's had that power where he looks slow but he moves fast because he makes uh-huh. everybody else slow down to try to yeah. get him. I, it's, it's, it's a thing of beauty. For a guy who's one of the best passers and one of the most exciting – and dynamic quarterbacks behind the line of scrimmage, what he can do when he decides to run, it just makes him – I don't want to gush about Patrick Mahomes, but how can you not? How why? can you not? Last night is a prime example. Yeah, yeah well, why I mean, should we not gush about Patrick Mahomes? I don't want to be fanboy. No, 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 because I've been doing it for five freaking years. There's a point so – I mean, what? it becomes so cliche, no, no, no. I, no, but last night proves why Mahomes. it is cliche. Let's gush about okay. Patrick Mahomes. We don't gush enough about Patrick Mahomes. Everybody's talking about Josh Allen well, this, Josh Allen that, Josh well, Allen this, no, Josh no, Allen that. No, 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 and no, now, no, no. now we see Patrick Mahomes is going to get it done in primetime. If, if Patrick Mahomes can't be a part of the MVP conversation just because we gush too much over Patrick Mahomes, I think that's ridiculous. We saw him get no, it done no, last I'm not night. Saying that. We can gush I'm not over him that. a little bit. No. If the Chiefs are the number one seed in the AFC, he's the MVP. The MVP, the key to the MVP is which teams are the number one seeds. And it's one of the quarterbacks from one of the number one seeds, unless Tyreek Hill has 2,100 receiving yards, then he may get a few votes, but, 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 and he's on track for 2085. So quietly on track for 2085 receiving yards. Everybody's just kind of like, no big deal. But no, Mahomes, I just, I just, I, it's, I've been doing We're Not Worthy with Patrick Mahomes for five years, and we are not worthy, and this is historic. And between him and Josh Allen, to have them both in the NFL rising into their prime at the same time is a special thing. I will say this, though. I will say this. If Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen made the throw that P.J. Walker made last Sunday against the Falcons, we'd still be gushing about it. It is amazing that is when true. guys who aren't Allen and Mahomes do something that's as impressive or more impressive than what they do. It's quickly forgotten, but if they do it, it yeah, becomes well. part of the legend 
of Allen and or Mahomes. All right. Um, let's flip it PJ around. PJ Walker got benched yesterday. So, I mean, come on now. Yeah. With Baker yeah. Mayfield. Well, so that's also why we don't talk about long. that. Well, mm-hmm. well, well. Uh, it's very different when you start playing teams out of your division, as Steve Wilkes learned the hard way yesterday going to Cincinnati. Um, the Tennessee Titans, they fall to five and three. They had quietly amassed that five and two record. Let's hear from Mike Vrabel, who, as you said, coached his ass off in an effort to beat the Chiefs on Sunday night. Very disappointing. You know, I mean, I feel terrible for the players that, that, that compete, put so much into this and, and play through pain, through discomfort, you know, through any situation. I'm, I'm lucky that I get to coach them. Uh, they, they fight and, uh, you know, we got to get back to work. We got to get healthy and we got to get some rest and, you know, figure out a way to, to beat Denver coming off another bye. You know what I mean? I mean, I think we could have probably done a little bit more. Obviously, everybody could, but, you know, there's no moral victories. You know, while we come on the road, you know, that, that's the thing I want to make sure. Like, we, we've came over here to, to, to win. That, that's all we were thinking about doing. So, I mean, I don't want to go down this road. Or like, is there more we could done? Yeah, there's more that I could do. There's more that the coaches could do and the players. You know, it's a good point when he says there are no moral victories because – I made the argument last week that the Packers avoided being demoralized by the Buffalo Bills, so it counted as a sort of a moral victory. But what happened to them yesterday? They got beat by the Lions in Detroit. So maybe sometimes you need to be demoralized to truly wake you up. Maybe a moral victory makes you complacent, right? Because you still lost. Oh, hey, we won. No, you still lost. Well, we feel good about ourselves. No, you still lost. And Mike Vrabel gets it. You still lost. And he, he look – There's a fine line between making excuses and pointing out facts. He's just on the right side of pointing out facts. You get yourself into a rhythm of facing teams coming off of a bye, and that's one of the the dynamics that teams look at when the schedule comes out. How many times this year are we facing a team where we have a week to get ready and they have two weeks to get ready? Mm -hmm. So they get the Broncos. The good news is the Broncos – are not the Chiefs, but the bad news is for the second straight game, Mike Vrabel has to get his team ready when he knows the opponents had two weeks to prepare to face the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, that's true, and that is one of those unfortunate dynamics, but I think, like you said, the the, the Broncos are not the Chiefs by any respect, although, I mean, I guess the Broncos did kind of figure something out um, in London against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars the last time we saw them. But look, I mean, here, here's the thing that I just think about Mike Vrabel and that team in the Titans. They got a bunch of butt kickers. And, you know, the beautiful thing about what they were doing last night was they were rushing with four and they were just kicking the mess out of the Chiefs offensive line for so much of that game. I mean, you had Orlando Brown, you know, just flailing backwards a couple of times and they were covering extremely well. So when you have that kind of combination, that's why you see the Chiefs offense struggle as much as it did for as much of that game as that uh, as that proceeded. But the other part of it, though, is when you have an offense that really can't get anything going in the passing game and it's so extremely one-dimensional, it just means that you're not going to be able to take advantage of all the opportunities you get from the defense, right? You, they needed a, an otherworldly performance, basically, from Derrick Henry in order to beat the Chiefs last night. 
Because, I mean, look at this. All of these things that got missed from Patrick Holmes. I mean, that one to Nicole Hardman was just unbelievable that he missed that. I don't know why he wasn't looking for that. But I think what happened was the clock in his head got sped up a little too much because he was being harassed by that front four all night long. So when you're not looking as you would, um, when you think that you don't have the protection, that's when you start looking for that check down and that outlet there. So, yeah, I mean, it was a really, really, really strong defensive performance by the Tennessee Titans, but eventually you just waste it because you can't get enough going offensively. Zero net yards on their last seven drives for the Tennessee Titans. That goes a long way toward making it harder to win a game. And they still forced overtime, and they still had a drive where if they had gone down, a field goal would have forced a tie, or they could have won the game with a touchdown, but they just couldn't do anything on that final drive. Derrick Henry tied a career high with his fifth straight game of 100 or more rushing yards, and you talked about the dominance of the defensive line. Jeffrey Simmons was on Sirius XM NFL Radio late last week, Thursday night, I think, up against the football and the baseball and everything else, and it really didn't get noticed the way that I thought it would, but he was brash in his remarks that they believe they can dominate the Chiefs' offensive line. I mean, the kind of bulletin board material that gets pumped up on all the talk shows, it never really made it anywhere. It never really took root. It could have, and maybe it should have, and maybe it would have helped the Chiefs light a little fire and play better against that Titans defense. But that's the key to slowing down any high-powered offense. If you can rush with four and put pressure on the quarterback, accelerate the clock in his head, as you said, Miles, that's how you can potentially beat a team because then you've got seven guys who are flooding the zones or covering the players man-to-man and or doubling them. And and uh, when you don't have to devote extra help to getting through to the quarterback, not that it matters. And we've seen teams constantly decide with Patrick Mahomes, don't waste your time trying to blitz him. You're still not going to get him, and he's going to get his hot read before you're going to get to him. Right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, Mahomes has been good against the Blitz for pretty much his entire career. So that's why you have to be able to rush with four as they did last night. So, yeah, it's just one of those things where Mahomes is that good that sometimes the best players, the best quarterbacks, they separate themselves when they have the opportunity to do so. And that's why the Chiefs won that game. Well, the Chiefs won that game because Tony Dungy at the end of Football Night in America, picked the Titans to help us avoid (laughs) the clean sweep meme. And we would have been hearing about it all day long from the Titans Twitter account and Titans fans that everybody on the show picked the Kansas City Chiefs. So thank you, Coach Dougie. That's ultimately what cosmically delivered the win. Well, His his point was right. Yeah. Yeah. Watch the line of scrimmage. I made the same point. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. I mean, my, my point wasn't the same as watch the line of scrimmage. I was just saying, was can, the, can the Titans cook up a formula, you know, slow the game down, run the ball, keep the Chiefs on the sideline? That's, that's one of the ways to beat the Chiefs, but it almost worked, but it didn't, but it didn't. And Coach was right, as he always is, watch the line of scrimmage, and uh, the line of scrimmage almost delivered the victory for the Titans. Let's shift gears to what was the biggest game of the day for a variety of reasons, not because it involved a team or two with a winning record. It involved no teams with winning records, but it just had that feel of desperation for both teams. And it was a rematch of one of the great playoff games we've ever seen. The Bucks down 27-3 to at home, tied up the game, 
long pass from Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup allows the Rams to win the game in advance. And, of course, they won the Super Bowl. They get back together again. The Rams were 3-0 and against Tom Brady's Buccaneers over the past couple of years. And the Buccaneers, they did what they desperately needed to do. Just get a win. Five out of six losses. Could have been slash should have been six out of six, but for that ridiculous roughing the passer call on Grady Jarrett when the Buccaneers beat the Falcons. They had just looked awful since starting 2-0. and They still don't look great, no. but they won. But they won. And yep. they won with Tom Brady doing Tom Brady things. And this is what I've been saying for a week and a half now, Miles. If they get a ticket to the playoff party, Tom Brady is going to do Tom Brady things in those postseason games, and he's not going to freak out. He's not going to to get nervous or antsy. He's going to be right at home. It'll be game number 48 for him in his career in the postseason. That's what he did on that final drive. He's been in that position. He lives for those moments. That's when he is on maximum engagement, full alert. This is why I do this. I love moments like this. I love succeeding in spots like this. And, and he did. Took him down the field with not a lot of time left and got the victory by three points over the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, it, it was just one of those moments where it's just Tom Brady. And, you know, it, like you said, it's what he lives for. It, it's what he's done better than any quarterback in the history of the National Football League. It's why he is the GOAT, right? He does those kinds of things. And, you know, it's when you get the ball back, no timeouts, and the Rams just allow him to go down the field. I mean, they got, what, 25, 30 yards on that first play. They have no timeouts. It's just, boy, you know, I I was hearing Jalen Ramsey talk after the game, and, you know, he basically said that the Rams should not have had to send their defense out there a second time after they got the fourth down stop that preceded the drive that, you know, the uh, Buccaneers were able to go down there and score, and, it's like, man, you're right, but you're also wrong. And I guess that kind of attitude is maybe part of the reason why they let up that touchdown in the end. Because it's like, if you think you're not supposed to be out there, so to just saying, all right, you know what? It's in our hands. Let's do it. Then these are the kinds of things that are going to happen. And it starts to feel inevitable in, when Tom, just because Tom Brady's out there when it's not. But yeah, you, you just like you said, Mike, if Tom Brady gets into the tournament, Because of who Tom Brady is and because of what Tom Brady's done and the experience that he has and the just completely good player that he still can be, this is the kind of stuff that happens. You let the Buccaneers hang around, eventually Tom Brady's going to do what Tom Brady does. Well, because here's what happens. The regular season ends and all this stuff that we've spent four months talking about. Every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Lather, rinse, repeat. The engagement in the excitement. I don't want to minimize it. I'm just saying it all ends. It all goes away. It all right. gets wiped clean. It got yeah. us through the four months. It helped us enjoy the process of watching the games. But once the regular season is over, it's irrelevant. The records are gone. All that matters is where you are on that tree. Of the seven playoff teams, if you got in. If you get in, are you the one? Or are you two, three, four, five, six, seven? The Buccaneers won the Super Bowl as the five seed two years ago. They would be the four seed if they win the NFC South. And they're currently tied with the Falcons at four and five. And technically, they're in first place because they beat the Falcons. So, yeah. 
and and but what here's where it does matter. It matters because for the teams that were good, it puts more pressure on them to continue to be good. The teams that aren't supposed to be there become very dangerous. They're loose. Yeah. They're we got nothing to lose. We, we've already lost the game. We're double digit underdogs. We're going on the road to play the one seed, whatever the case may be. And think about Tom Brady versus Kirk Cousins if they would cross paths in the postseason. Who are you betting on? And I, I, I look, Vikings fans. I know. Oh, what was it? Seven and one. Well done. Who are you betting on? Set aside the purple helmet with the horns. Set aside all the things you do to convince yourselves that you're content with Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Ask yourself, Kirk Cousins versus Tom Brady. Who are you going to take? You're going to run and hide at the prospect of that one. So, I, I, and you can, you can make that argument with, look, Geno Smith, for as great as he's been this year, what playoff experience does he have? Tom Brady's got 47 games. So that's why it's so critical. You could almost argue that it's going to be tougher for them to get to the playoffs and it will be for them to win games when they get there because they've got Brady. And, Miles, the lightning bolt moment for me was during the fourth quarter of that game against the Ravens when they cut to the close-up of Brady. And he was—he just was – it's like, that guy's still there. He, You know, he may not be able to move like he did – he may not have quite the same oomph on the deep ball. He may look like he's lost a little bit of the, you know, the, the flesh in his ass. You know, a little skinny, a little gaunt. Still, still the same guy. And he's going he's gonna to thrive and relish that moment in the postseason the way that he did yesterday when he had a chance to win the game against the Rams. All that other stuff goes away. You get that one moment. And he knows that moment is coming, and he knows it's it's probably going to be his last moment unless somebody throws fifty million at him to come fill their stadium next year. And I'm not kidding when I say that. We can say he's not going to play next year, and then the teams that make business decisions make a business decision to pay him a lot of money because they know he'll fill up their stadium. Yeah, he will. Um, I'm I'm interested to see what happens this week when they play the Seattle Seahawks. You know, speaking of Geno Smith, and it's going to be an international thing, and we'll see how that crowd in Germany reacts and all that. But when you get to the moment where you have to execute, right, is there anybody that you trust more than Tom Brady? No, there's just not, because nobody else has done it to that level that he's done it. And now that's the problem with letting the Buccaneers hang around in any sort of game situation, right? If you give Tom Brady one shot, he's probably going to make it. If you let them hang around and you don't, you know, destroy them, step on the neck, whatever, you know, I don't know, analogy you want to use. When you have the opportunity to do it, then that's the result you're going to get. So it, it takes 60 minutes a full 60 minutes to beat that guy in that team. The Rams defense played an outstanding 59 minutes, but that last minute, boy, that last minute, and it's in large part the offense's fault, I, I think. I mean, like we can talk a little bit more about that, but it, when you give Brady that shot, it's really, really hard to stop him. Before we pivot to the Rams, though, you made an excellent point about the next game for the Buccaneers. They're packing up the operation, and they're going to Germany, a place where there were 2 million ticket requests That's for the game that will be played. 2 million. And the Seahawks are going to make the 
ultra-long trip from Seattle to Germany. I don't know. Maybe so far that it's easier to go the Pacific route and not even cross the Atlantic. I don't know. It's probably almost a coin flip as to which, which flight takes longer. This is going to be a glimpse of what happens in the playoffs because, and I think back to Ben Roethlisberger after the Seahawks played the Vikings 2012 in London. Roethlisberger was like, wow, man, I've played in Super Bowls and this felt like a Super Bowl. That's what this is going to feel like. It's going to feel like a Super Bowl in Germany. The excitement level of those fans, the buzz, everything about it, just the vibe. You know, when you go to a Super Bowl, there is a palpable vibe that is far different from any other game. And there's going to be a different vibe. And who's accustomed to it and who's not? And this is a a glimpse. So if my theory holds any water whatsoever, the Buccaneers will beat the Seahawks on Sunday in in Germany. Because this is what I'm talking about. I kind of hope they do now, even though I've been on the Seahawks bandwagon. I kind of hope they do because it proves this point that I'm making, that when it gets to that (laughs) single elimination vibe, that's when Brady's really going to step up and – and, and it doesn't make for a great story. I, I always root for a great story. We were yes, ready to does. throw the guy out of the league. We were hoping he was – maybe he'll retire. Maybe, well, can you please retire? I mean, come on. It was the, the Michael Scott, Robert Dunder meme. Slam the door in the old guy's face and let him worry about how to get home. That's how we were feeling about Tom Brady. If he turns this thing around and has success in the postseason, that's one of the all-time great stories. If I, I, I'm not even going to say it, but if he does that thing that I'm not going to say and walks off into the sunset with a trophy I'm not going to name, you can't beat that. You, no. can't, you can't come up with anything better than that if he would pull this off. It, it's very Peyton. It's not very, but I mean, it's sort of Peyton Manning reminiscent in 2015, you know? And this would actually maybe be a, a place where when Tom Brady says everybody su- says we suck and we can't win any games, he's actually kind of right at that point. Well, and the difference with Peyton Manning was I, it never it never was like the excuse with him was he was physically falling apart. It wasn't. Yes. And it, with with Brady, it's all this other stuff. It's on the field. It's off the field. Yes. It's, it's just everything. It's bigger. It's bigger than than the Manning thing in 2015. And uh, it is. Uh, anyway, anyway, the team that won the most recent Super Bowl, the L.A. Rams, seeing their path become more fraught because good luck getting a wild card in the NFC. The Giants and the Cowboys are already squatting on two of those. You're three and five now. Before you even think about catching the Seahawks, you got to leapfrog the 49ers who swept you. Here's Sean McVay, coach of the Rams, talking about the most recent loss and the changes that need to be made to turn things around. There's really no other way to put it. This is a tough pill to swallow. Um, I thought our defense did enough to be able to win that football game. Clearly, offensively, not even close to good enough. I'm a big part of that. Um, You know, had our opportunities, had our chances to be able to make plays, um, had a chance to be able to close the game out there, didn't really get that done. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, you give credit to the Bucs defense, but... Um, you know, we've got to really figure out a lot of different things to be able to do. And we got to, you know, whether it's different players, whether it's different scheme, different things like that. But this is not good enough. Um, and I have to do better, too. I'm a, I'm a huge part of this. And, uh, you know, that's just the reality of where we're at right now. I don't necessarily think it's the panic button, Sarah, but, um, you know, changes have to be made. Adjustments have to be made. Um, we can't continue to go on like this. And, um, you know, what that looks like, I don't necessarily have the exact answers right now. Um, you know, and what I don't want to have anything be misunderstood is that I'm not in this with those guys. I'm a big part of this. I have to do better. 
Um, we're going to stay connected throughout this, but we do have to be able to look inward and, and figure out what are some of the solutions, changes, adjustments, different things that we have to do to be able to get different results and different production from our offense. But that's the thing. What can you really do? As they're sitting around in a conference room brainstorming, you've already tried everything. Is somebody going to have some bright idea that's going to revolutionize the sport of football, that's going to infuse some sort of like they're going to come up with some new play or some new approach or some new look or let's try this or let's try that? It's got to be frustrating as you watch the film and you just see that you're physically overmatched. When last year you were the one doing the overmatching. Look, I mean, if Van Jefferson's not going to catch the ball when the play is drawn up properly, then what are you going to do? I I mean, if your left guard is if your left guard is playing as Bobby Evans was playing yesterday and, you know, you can't block Vita Vey at all and, you know, your protection's not right, then what are you going to do? I mean, the the thing you can do, I guess, is change the five up front again. But at a certain point, how much is that going to help you? That's what I'm saying. Well, no, no, no. I'm saying internally. Right. This is this is an offseason problem now for the Rams that you cannot solve in season. It's just not really possible. The only thing you can do is try to, you know, put your best duct tape and glue and do whatever you possibly can to try and bandage this up so that you can finish with a respectable record. But look, it's it's an offseason problem now. Because you don't have the weapons, you do not have the offensive line, and the only weapon you've really got is Cooper Cup. And at a certain point, everybody knows you're going to go to Cooper Cup, even though yesterday he still has eight for 127 or something like that. So it's it's not an issue that the Rams can solve right now. But I want to go back to one thing that Sean McVay said about remaining a connected team. We also got to talk about Jalen Ramsey in this because I'm sorry, like I think Jalen Ramsey's right in that. The Rams defense should not have had to go back out there on the field. But to say that so publicly, it, it, it just sends this message that things are not as connected as they need to be. And the Rams defense has been playing outstanding for a lot of different games. All right. And I agree with Jalen Ramsey. I'll, I'll say it again. If you have an offense that all they need to do is get a first down and you in the game, in the game. And Cooper Cup made probably a critical error in sliding to keep the clock moving instead of bullying his way through and trying to get a first down on that jet sweep. But, like, you can't start blaming the offense in the locker room right after the game to the media and think that that's going to continue to go over well and that you're still going to remain a connected team and you're still going to be able to go out there and win games. Now, I I get it. I get emotions are high. But that's not a great look from Jalen Ramsey. And, you know, you've got to be able to solve that in-house and in the locker room in order to remain connected enough to actually get out there and win games. That's a great point. And I think back to when the Rams traded for Jalen Ramsey. That's part of what you trade for. You trade for a guy who, who, who... This is not out of character. That he, and, and when, no, when it's he gets not. in spots, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. He's he's yeah. just he's being honest. He's being blunt. He's being who he is. He wanted out of Jacksonville. He said, I want out of Jacksonville. He's not going to mm-hmm. mince words. He's not a guy who's going to mince words. That's my point. I'm not criticizing yes. him. My point is you trade for him and you know that guy. If things don't go well, he's possibly going to say something that you'd rather he not say. Miles, I think that this Cam Akers thing isn't isn't a problem. It's a symptom. 
of a of a different dysfunction that's crept into the Rams. Jalen Ramsey talked about Cam Akers the other day. They're represented by the same agent. Jalen Ramsey's been in a situation where he was just done with the team and wanted out with the Jaguars so he can sympathize or empathize, whatever pathize, with Cam Akers. I got to figure that one out once and for all and not forget which is the right one. But he understands what Cam Akers is going through and he supports Cam Akers. I just, I know there's enough, and I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to pounce on Sean McVay, but I mean, the guy's got, you know, $20 million contract. Or more, for all we know. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He's got a great new house. He's got a great new wife. His life is, is great right now. But you also are in a position where you're going to get criticized if things aren't working out the right way, especially once you've gotten that salary. And, and, and you know, it's kind of like the Pete Carroll thing in Seattle where there's a shelf life on how long guys are going to listen to the messages from the coach and how long guys are going to respond to the shtick because we know there's a shtick. Every coach has a yeah. shtick. For some of them, it's a little more obvious than others. With McVay, it's an obvious shtick, Miles. You know, I, Miles? I know. It's an obvious shtick, Miles. I mean, you know, the whole name repetition thing. There's a certain, there's just a certain amount of, what's the right word? I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say the word in my head because I don't think it's fair. But, but there's, there's something about it that I think a locker room is going to sniff out. So you got to turn over players. Pete Carroll's figured it out. At a certain point, when the message is no longer getting through to the players because they've been there too long and they've heard it too many times, you got to get new players. So I, it, it could be creeping to we need new players o'clock, not just because the ones they have aren't very good, but the good players, some of them, May have been here. It's just like they, they may be, it may be getting a little stale, and I think that may be why Jalen Ramsey said what he said after the game. At the root, at the cause, at the core, that may be why he decided to say something he probably shouldn't have said in a perfect world. Well, Mike, I mean, the, okay, I mean, first of all, I lived the whole Sean McVay shtick experience, you know, if that's what we want to call it, and I mean, to me, it works. So I don't, I don't know, and I've oh, have oh, been well, gone but, for but, four and but, five years, so wait. like it. it I, I, Until I it doesn't. Until it's stale. I I, but what? Yeah. It's stale because the offense is ineffective, right? That it, and it's ineffective because the players aren't executing in com- in combination with the fact that the personnel just I don't think is good enough in combination with the fact that sometimes the scheme isn't working out quite right. So that's why I mean, look, the, the Rams had nine first downs, two hundred and six total yards. They did not deserve to win that game from an offensive execution standpoint, right? Their, their touchdown was a big sixty-nine yard pass to Cooper Cup. They got a big thirty-some yard pass down the field to Cooper Cup as well that got them to the ten-yard line, and they couldn't do a damn thing once they got there I mean they can't run the football at all it's one of those things where yeah if the defense is playing like that eventually they're start gonna start getting frustrated with the offense it happens because a good defensive team where you're not letting teams score more than 20 points a game you feel like you should be able to win in the 2022 NFL so at a certain point yeah you're gonna get frustrated and I understand that that's what I said like I don't think Jalen Ramsey's wrong. I just don't think it's the best thing from a team standpoint when you start airing that stuff out in public. And that's maybe where the concern is. But, like, it's a five-alarm fire time anyway in Los Angeles for the Rams. You know, it's just the way it is. And this just complicates things for Sean McVay as he tries to figure it all out. I use the example all the time of changing the tire on a moving car. 
I know I say it too much, but it, it, it captures the moment like nothing else. That's what the Rams are trying to do. And when Jalen Ramsey says what he says yesterday, the car starts moving even faster while you're trying to unscrew the lug nuts and pull the wheel off and put the new one on. Because now on top of everything else that Sean McVay has to deal with, Sean McVay has to has to get things right with Jalen Ramsey. What do I do? When do I do it? When do I approach him? What do I say? How do I say it? Should I should I you know be bad cop? Should I be good cop? What should I? I mean, think about that. You've just got this, this delicate this delicate situation now that you have to figure out how to diffuse along with everything else. And Miles, Miles, this is the other side of f them picks. Because when you trade away all those draft picks for proven commodities, you have other spots on your roster you need to fill somehow, some way, without those premier draft picks that you have traded away. So you better hope your late-round picks pan out. You better hope your undrafted free agents pan out. You better hope your guys that you sign from other teams who become free agents pan out. And if they don't, you got yourself a mess. That's what the Rams have right now. They have a mess. Yes, they won the most recent Super Bowl. And, you know, this may be an easy year for the Rams to say, we will just kick the can into the offseason and try to figure it out. But they got some work to do. All of a sudden, a team that was a perennial contender that felt among the best of the best is just falling off dramatically. We kind of expect it from the Packers, even though it's still surprising. But I didn't expect it. You you tell me any if you tell me somebody's going to have eight, three and outs yesterday, pick the team in the NFL, rank them. As most likely to least likely. I'd have had the Rams at or near the bottom to have eight three and outs in a game. Well, I mean, have you been watching what they've been doing? I don't know, man. <laughs> this year, I don't know. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Generally, yes, that's the way I would feel about a Sean McVay offense. But, you know, I mean, it's it, – what, what did we talk about when, you know, the 49ers beat the Rams? It's like, okay, well, the Niners – excuse me, the Rams aren't usually as bad as they look when they play the 49ers. I mean, they, not, they actually are, right? And yeah, the, 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 the Buccaneers have a good defense and Vila Vea is a, a bad, bad man. But like, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad stuff that's going on there with Los Angeles's offense. And it's just, it's leading to these losses. Interesting stretch of games coming up for the Rams. Then we need to take a break. The Cardinals come to town, a team that the Rams could slash should be able to handle. They beat them in Arizona earlier this year yeah. at the Saints. And then Thanksgiving weekend, a trip to Kansas City to play mm. the Chiefs. Rematch of the epic 2018. I have a feeling it's not going to be quite as epic this time around. But uh, <laughs> And then the Seahawks after that. And then we got a Thursday night game, Raiders-Rams. And who knows? Who knows where we are by then? By the time we get to Rams at Packers, Monday night football, six days before Christmas, it could be meaningless for both teams. At best, it's going to be an elimination game. At worst, it's yeah. going to be both these teams are done. That's where it's going for the Rams and the Packers so far this year. Yeah. We'll talk about the Packers when we return and the Bills. Two favorites who were upset by division rivals. We'll discuss that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. 